This is the Will Be Movies. Uh, this is a podcast where we discuss 25 of our favourite movies from a given decade. We are starting with Volume 1, 2000-2009. When we eventually get into other volumes, uh, the timeline of this is going to get real fucked because we're going forwards and then backwards. But who? That's for later. I think we go. I think we go forwards and then we pretty firmly go backwards, unless you want to like <laughs> throw a curveball and do like the 80s before we do anything else. I think. I, th- I think. 2000, then 2010s, then 90s, and then 80s is like, we'll see if we do that. Anyway, uh, that voice you just heard is Ben Phillips not taking his cue. Ben, how are you on this completely different day from episode 8? I'm good. It's it's still not as warm. Am I spoiling the illusion by saying still? Whatever. This is episode 9. This is Shaun of the Dead. White people only, please. So, chosen by both of us, but with a big fat asterisk, because I actually chose Hot Fuzz, and you chose Shaun, and then I was like, yeah, Shaun of the Dead has the biggest sort of impact on movies. It has the greater name value, and it was a bigger cult hit, and all of this, so I think Shaun of the Dead bears more discussion, but my allegiance, if you you're pitting those two against each other will always be for Hot Fuzz. You watched Hot Fuzz literally last night or something. I, I, I watched it over two nights because okay. I was very t- I've been very tired this week. But like stupid times by animals that live in my house. So basically I watched like, the first hour and then I watched the second hour last night and the second hour is obviously where it like all kicks off and it becomes an action movie. But <laughs> I, I, both of them are wonderfully successful and I think it's something that isn't so much replicated in World's End, which is the fun movie in the trilogy, but wasn't even in contention for any discussion. In that both of them exist as really good comedy movies, but also then eventually turn into a really good versions of what they're pastiching, because yes. I don't want to call them a parody because neither of them are parodying the genre. Like, they're just pointing out tropes. Then they become the actual movies that they're pastiching and making jokes about. It's done with love. Yeah, it's, it's, it's this wonderfully intelligent look at what these genres mean. And then it dissects them to such an insane degree that it becomes a really good version of those movies at the end point anyway. Yeah, and it's not just done with love and it's not just gently mocking them. It's also done with like an extreme expertise in the genre. Because a lot of parody is done from a point of like, I think this is a bit stupid and I'm going to make, I'm going to tell you why. Whereas they're like, we love this stuff, but there's also some stuff that you can't ignore is a bit silly about it or whatever. You know, it's, it's done from an informed place. Like they clearly know their shit when they're making these things. I just personally think Hot Fuzz is funnier and Shaun of the Dead is like a proof of concept in that they got to do this for cheap, they got to hire some really good actors and then Hot Fuzz is like because Shaun of the Dead was so good and so successful Mm. kind of everything comes on and like the star quality of Hot Fuzz is so much higher than Shaun of the Dead in that like one of the first jokes of the movie is like we're going to jump from Martin Freeman who is (laughs) briefly in Shaun of the Dead to Steve Coogan to Bill Nye. They're very open about like and then there's also jokes like all the people on the council in in Sanford are elder statesmen, British actors, well-known yeah. horror and stuff like that in the 1970s, 1980s, when, or like 1960s, 1970s, when we were doing that kind of like schlocky hammer horror kind of stuff. <laughs> They're so well-constructed from the ground up in like 
the references mm. and depth to the point where like I, I have internalized so many behind the scene facts about both these movies that I was turning to Alex and saying like, well, that's Peter Jackson in the Santa, in the Santa costume and that's Kate Blanchett. And like, this is, this is where Edgar Wright grew up. And if you watch the movie that he put on the, the DVD of Hot Fuzz, you can see him using the same locations from his previous action movie spoof mm-hmm. in Hot Fuzz. So I don't even need to get, point out any trivia. You're going to handle all of that for us. Oh God, there's like, again, like I, there's I a lot as well. <laughs> there's a lot and I spent a solid like because I think it's fair to say that for a solid like three or four years Edgar Wright probably was my favourite filmmaker just because he is that from that nerdy breed and he did ultimately make a top five movie of my life which is neither of these two no like forward to volume two Baby but Driver still, but it's still like for the for that time period I think he is far and away one of the most visually interesting directors to kind of come about in the last 20 years or so oh yeah so we are doing an Apatowian movie later on in this series but I think it's very interesting to look You're at the kind of everyone. Uh, to look at the two kind of like thoughts of comedic cinema mm-hmm. where Shaun of the Dead is so visually interesting and I remember there's an old Every Friend Painting video which kind of says like Edgar Wright does some really interesting stuff where the framing and the use of the camera and what the camera can see and editing and smash cuts and stuff like that that is very apparent in this movie where like there is not at all points there is something visually stimulating going on on the screen whereas in America everything kind of turns to improv and relying yeah, one static shot and improv and like doing 900 takes and just letting it run and yeah and so you have this thing where like in in Britain we have Edgar Wright who's doing these very tightly controlled comedic movies and I don't think he's spun off in quite the same way that other people have and I think even stuff like Three Lions is still very much like improvisation but maybe taking some of that kind of like visual interestingness from stuff like Sean whereas in America everything kind of falls down into the flexibility is what makes these movies fun because we can choose the best take but then as the budget starts to increase and you start to get things like Paul Feig directing Ghostbusters you start to see the cracks in how it works which is like it's still really funny people doing really funny improv but because we're throwing special effects into this and the special effects aren't as thought out and they aren't as pre-planned or the, the pre-plannedness of them is not meshing with the comedic style of the movie you get this tone of whiplash of things that go on I feel American comedy took a turn towards getting out of the way of the comedic talents and just being like Paul Rudd and Seth Rogen talking to each other is going to be fucking funny let's just point a camera at them and let that happen whereas Edgar Wright in particular but I feel the British style in general is the meticulous sort of style and and ability of the filmmaker is enhancing those same like comedy juggernauts like watching Simon Pegg and Nick Frost talk to each other is in that same way just inherently going to be funny but I think Edgar Wright enhances that by giving them he's like arming them with something visually interesting and everything and stylish as well so you kind of get the best of both. The jokes are thought out to interact with what's going on on the screen, whereas whereas like sadly the American School of Thought is like especially when you get to things like Ant-Man and as I said Ghostbusters, the jokes stop when the special effects come in. Because it's a different unit. (laughs) Yeah, it's like we we previs this, we can have some script things, but if something happens in the middle of the movie that is going to change how this character interacts, we can't change how they act in this scene because previs has been done for six months and you need to stay to the script for this. Whereas Edgar Wright is a control freak and (laughs) potentially not a very nice man to be on set with if you're not one of his friends but Mm -hmm. he is a genius when it comes to like how all these things interact and kind of keeping this all in his head. Yeah. So, as we've said, directed by Edgar Wright who I think Hot Fuzz is the only other thing he directed in terms of a movie in this decade. 
Um, I mean, he's got all, he's got like all of Spaced, and he's got like a whole selection of like music videos as well. Yep. His career is interesting. I actually went to an all night screening of everything he'd done up to a certain point, which included like one of the first Sizzle Reel for Ant Man. <laughs> the Sizzle Reel for Ant Man was there, but also one of the first screenings of Fistful of Fingers since 1995. We got to right. see that. But yeah, we did all of Space, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, all of um, Space, all of Space, um, Scott, Scott Pilgrim, Fistful of Fingers, and then they also included like a selection of his music videos. And I think the Don't trailer was there as well. And Edgar Wright and Nick Frost were there for a Q&A. Wow. Yeah, it, it was a really fun evening. Um, Nick Frost threw Jaffa Cakes out to the audience. Of course. I think we're about two or three months away from The World's End coming out. So, like, there was a trailer as well for that, but not the full movie. I think people, the best. <laughs> I think people would have lost it if, like, they revealed that there was a super secret final movie, which was going to be World's End. Just two months early. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it, it, it was a really fun night. And this was the point where he was about to do Ant-Man as well. Yeah. But, yeah, like, he is someone who you can see his growth as a filmmaker across everything that he's done, which oh, makes yeah. it super interesting. But the fact that he, he goes from Spaced, which is one of the all-time great British comedy series. It fucking is, and I'm sure because of the success of Shaun of the Dead that like people probably have stumbled across it, but if you're listening to this and you've never seen Spaced, you need to watch Spaced. So I don't think it's available in the UK, but the American comedy tracks, or commentary tracks for, for Spaced are insane. Wright announced the recent Region 1 Spaced DVD on uh, 22nd July 2008, which would feature all new commentaries with Wright, Peg, Stevenson, Nee Hines now, um, uh. as well as special guests Quentin Tarantino, Kevin uh. Smith, Seth Rogen, Diablo Cody, Danny Antonucci, Matt Stone, Seth MacFarlane, Seth Green, Johnny Knoxville, Bill Hader, Dave Willis, Tim Heidecker, Greg Sestero, and Pat Oswald. Yep. <laughs> he starts off as this guy who does a lot of stuff in the British TV business, and then just making kind of cult intelligent films grows into being someone who is like nerd nirvana and you get so many of these people who love that kind of stuff wanting yeah. to work with him and talk with him the Seth Rogen movie um, this cool. is the end okay. well, I was going to say this is the end that is an idea that he had a long time before they made it but like I, you can see how he would look at something like Shaun of the Dead and be like yeah I want to make like a genre movie but make it funny or whatever and yeah. I know Quentin Tarantino was called Shaun of the Dead like one of the best movies made in modern times times and and yeah it's there's a following so co-written by simon pegg who wrote all of spaced along with uh jessica i'm gonna call it jessica hines because that's what i've always known her as but i know it was stevenson at the time i don't think edgar wright did writing on space i'm sure he contributed but i thought he was just the director of he was he was just the director but i think he's very much like those three minds together yes and it was released on the 9th of April 2004 in the UK, which I'm going to say before the US release date because it's a British movie. Released on the 24th of September in the US. So, this would be your first opportunity to talk about the year 2004, Benjamin. Yeah, I've spoken a lot already, but here we go. So, we've got uh, kind of best movies of the year, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. You've got Tropical Malady Before Sunset, which I have just ordered the UK version of the Criterion set, so I'm finally going to watch these three movies. Yeah. Sideways, Million Dollars Baby, The Incredibles, Shaun the Dead, uh, Kill Bill Volume 2, lots of good movies again in 2004. Do you disagree with any of those apart from Kill Bill? <laughs> no, no, you no. can have all of those. I can have all of those, okay, that's good. Best Picture nominees this year, Shaun of the Dead was not a nomination for Best yeah, Picture this year, sadly. Shocking. Uh, winner was Million Dollar Baby. Joe Baruchel's finest work. <laughs> The Aviator, Find Neverland, Ray, Sideways, which is also a fantastic movie, which we will not be discussing nope. in this series. But if you want to see grown men go round drink wine, then definitely well worth it. And then in the UK, so this is this is a weird one because I saw the number one movie this weekend in the UK. 
the mm. box office, but I did not see Shaun of the Dead in the cinema. I saw Shaun of the Dead in the cinema. Yeah, I was a bit too young, which is why I was seeing Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed. Oh, James Gunn. Is that James Gunn? That is James Gunn. I, I saw it in the cinema. I had never heard of it. I think it was like, it must have been the summer. Like, some friends and I, it was like, oh, yeah, do you want to go to the cinema? Yeah, sure. And then I just tagged along just for the day out. And I was like, what is this? And it was like, oh, this is cool. But yeah, it was, it was it's one of the few that I would have seen upon its release. Well, I guess we're going to get into more where I saw them as they came out. But yeah, so far, these have been movies that came out long before uh, I saw them. Yeah, uh, but then we got 51st Dates. Sean Dead was at number three with about $3 million as its opening weekend. Not a hot opening weekend. Like, it opened at number three but obviously I think of all these movies as, as well as like Passion of the Christ and Cat in the Hat which is number five it's the only one that I still think people talk about in like reverent hush tones it's the one that you're most likely to see on a TV screen nowadays and Scooby-Doo but, and Scooby-Doo <laughs> But it's also like in the world of like highest grossing movies of 2004, Shrek 2 is obviously the king. Of course. The best Harry Potter with Prisoner of Azkaban. Accurate. Spider Man 2. Yeah. If you want to go listen to Big Spideers. <laughs> That's a movie it, that exists. It? That's a movie that exists. Number four, The Incredibles. Number five, Passion of the Christ, which is insane. It made that much money worldwide. <laughs> Utterly insane. It made that much money worldwide. It's an R rated 15, but it made $600 million worldwide. Thank Literally God just, Deadpool came along and, and unseated it. Literally just. I'm looking uh, forward to talking about The Incredibles one day. That would be fun. I know. Yeah. That would be fun. I, the I the best Fantastic Four movie. Um... <laughs> But yeah, that, that's kind of like where 2004 cinema was at. Like you've got our, the, the, the critical claim movies, you've got the movies that made a lot of money, and then you also have Scooby-Doo 2 and Cat in the Hat. Which are both. They are critically acclaimed and made a lot of money. I saw Cat in the Hat in the cinema as well. <laughs> I'm sad now. This is making you look great. I was 12. I had an eight-year-old brother. He was definitely like, what can we go see as a family? Shaun of the Dead would not have crossed our minds to like... No, well... So, it's 99 minutes long, another short one. Budget of only $6.1 million, and it made $30 million worldwide in the end, I believe. So, you know, not an enormous hit, but, I mean, look what it has going against it. And Like, you know, we all know who Simon Pegg is, but there is no one attached to this that a global audience would be like, ah, him or her. I mean, this is this is a, the, the quintessential British TV cast. Yes. I, I yes, think- it is a Hall of Fame, this era, like, set of... T- this is an episode of British comedy TV writ large and like that is literally where it came from because it span off from there's an episode of Spaced called Art where Tim is on a lot of drugs and playing a lot of Resident Evil and he hallucinates a what zombie invasion and they were like what if we did a whole movie of this because Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg are both huge fans of George Romero in particular I mean they get a cameo in is it Day of the Dead or is Land, it Land of the Dead they got the cameo in as zombies yeah they gave him a private screening which is fun the original title for this was Tea Time of the Dead I think Shaun of the Dead is better Film 4 were one of their funders but they because they're crazy, decided to reduce how much funding they were going to give them in the middle of production or or just before. So Edgar Wright had to borrow an awful lot of money from his friends. I think he said that, like, he was actually in quite a considerable amount of debt while making it. Like, he was turning down directing work. He was like, if I take this work, it means I won't make this movie. (laughs) Allegedly, Simon Pegg still is owed money by him to this day, or, I don't know, something like that. And it's like, he won't... I can't can't imagine that's true now. I think he said he won't let him pay him back <laughs> oh okay so, I, but, then, but then I would also say like you, uh, that makes sense considering Simon Pegg's career after this kind of 
is owned is entirely it? to Edgar Wright, yes. But I don't know how serious they were, but there are stories that they were considering doing a sequel called From Dusk Till Sean about vampires, but they left that alone. But yeah, it's just spaced, but for 90 minutes and with a higher budget and, and better effects, basically. And that's no bad thing. So this first act is very, like, they are co- from the very first shot, they are cock-teasing you with when are the zombies going to show up. I mean, like I said, I don't remember there being a huge marketing push for this. It was very much a what is this. So I don't know. I, I think maybe it does work better that it did sort of come out of nowhere and you all you know about it is that it's a zombie movie. And then you're like, well, when are the zombies going to show up? And you spend the first sort of however long just in the pub. And I'll get into the lengthy list of like things, hints that this is happening, the zombie stuff. But like the core part of the movie to me, like it is obviously a zombie movie, but this is fundamentally a story about Sean as kind of a to use a British idiom, a waste man. He just sort of, you know, he's like the oldest person at his sort of dead-end job and he just wants to go to the same pub all the time and hang out with his delinquent friend, Ed, Nick Frost, and, you know, he neglects his girlfriend and he has a not-great relationship with his parents or, you know, his mum and his stepdad. And, yeah, and just the girlfriend kind of having to put up with a lot of his shit and, and all this sort of stuff. And this relationship between Sean and Ed and then Sean and Liz. That's the story. It's just so happens that zombie shit happens in the course of that and they establish it immediately in the pub with their relationship with each other and like (laughs) Dave and Diane they do this more than once where they're like talking shit about them and then the camera shows that they're right there or whatever and they I mean that's that's what I mean it's like the movie does so much like there's so much economy of script where every single line is achieving something which is insane for this kind of movie Mm -hmm. like whether or not that's a joke that's going to pay off later or whether or not that is some kind of like fucking ton of tiny little things like next time I see him he's dead and then he is literally dead the next time yeah. he sees him so, and um, even even down to like uh, like just just all these little things where like pretty much every single line in this pub is like setting something up at this point but also that like those lines will then contribute to like some kind of visual gag ultimately at the end of it because obviously you start with Liz bad mouthing Ed and then you pan to Ed and then Sean bad mouthing David Diane and then panning to David Diane and then later on being like they're arguing in the next room and he's like she's like quoting him of like a failed actress and a twat your words and it's like (laughs) we're just looking at them while they're saying this this is the sort of spaced dna to me this kind of the 20 something london malaise and and not quite having it fully together i mean this this is this is that insane thing where like the movie is about zombies but it completely nails the character dynamics Mm. which without it i think this movie would utterly fail like i don't think any of the characters in this movie don't feel like real people they all feel like even if they're like broad or anything like that they feel like they come from a very specific and very well commented on kind of place and they all have an arc and they all have like something to do that matters by the end of it which is like really insane to like think about it it is and like in especially especially when this is his first movie as well yeah (laughs) jesus yeah ed had a very bad influence on people i know for sure just the sort of just greeting your 
your friends by swearing at them and just constantly you know, gay and all that. I was, it's obviously funny, but like there is some part. Like, of the, it. The, the, the gay joke is very much of its time because they of do course. it repeatedly, and it and it isn't intentionally homophobic, yeah. but it is used in that way that sadly British youth culture definitely did have it back then in the yeah. 2000s of like gay as a negative yes. word, which I'm glad for the most part we've grown out of. I don't mm. think I know anyone now who would go like, oh god, that's so gay. The use of it in British culture intentionally strips it away from being about two dudes yeah. doing things together and strips it more into like, because even in, even in this, like his use of the word gay are like affection, which I guess is also problematic in the kind of like, mm-hmm. esc- like v- viewing like any kind of like emotional vulnerability as being intentionally like, oh, let's not dive into this. Yeah, let's not. Like, but words. I just, you know, I, I see this performance. I'm like, yeah, this is very funny. But then I also get this sort of shiver up my spine when I think about specifically one person I know who pretty much embodied this character after seeing this movie and would just be like, any of you cunts want a drink or anything like this? Like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but yeah, you, you talk about like these, these lines that all pay off and you get just harm shit like you've got red on you with the pen which they call back on like four different times uh, and, but, and, is, but is like now a line of like famous cinema and like when people cosplay they always have to remember to have the like ink the spot red. on it. Yeah, 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 yeah. can we briefly touch on Rafe Spall's glow up I know right because I was <laughs> like whoever this is they seem incredibly familiar and I feel like it's someone who is now famous and I was like oh it's Rafe fucking Spall who is a very handsome man <laughs> who is not a very handsome man in this movie no he's not I like I think it, it must be like kind of like that 16, 17 year old weight that you kind of like shed a little bit but it's insane to think that he goes from being quite stocky and built into mm-hmm. being like dashing handsome because even by the time you get to Hot Fuzz three years later he's like he's got the awful moustache but like <laughs> oh Hot Fuzz is so good Liz breaks I'm, I promise you I am gonna loop this back into like I know I'm missing a fuck ton of stuff that happens here but it all groups together for me but so this is one of those movies where it's like the, the urge is to list every funny thing or every smart thing that it does of course um but then we're here all day because this movie Indeed. and it feels it feels disingenuous to say like it's quote unquote smart mm. but like it's very well structured it is you get this rightism of the rapid montage of mundane activities with the like exaggerated audio over it Hot Fuzz definitely does this doesn't it yes yes and I, I think he's done it elsewhere as well but you know just seeing someone like butter toast but with like incredibly loud audio and trying to make it seem exciting they do this a lot when you see them like in the house together and like uh, then playing Time Splitters hell of a game Peter Serafinovich as the uptight housemate and telling Ed to go live in the shed which he does by the end of the movie and all this good stuff but the genius of the sort of first act of the movie for me is like I said the constant teasing of the zombies and I feel the legacy of this movie is sort of them being oblivious to it happening but it does start off really subtle because you have like a radio report about a probe crashing down in the south of England but it's like it's incidental like it's it's not like so many movies would like give you a close-up of the radio and make it the most important thing happening but he's just walking past and like yeah, and you the, don't the, know what you're looking for the entire joke of this movie is that like they offer you about 17 different reasons for why the zombies might be existing mm-hmm. and but they never also, confirm any of them <laughs> but also it does that thing like I mean obviously like Dawn of the Dead is one of the first things to do that social criticism of like consumerism makes us all into zombies oh yeah you get the um, obligatory look at them all on their phones look at them all on the bus look at them all you know all this sort of stuff and like yeah you get the newspaper headlines about crop circles and the corner shop I think he's listening to the radio in I assume Hindi and I, th- I think whatever's being said 
there is like people are rising from their graves but like he would never notice that but of course Edgar Wright puts that in there and then I, he- did, I did have fun whilst watching it to go like oh I'm actually about maybe a 20 minute train journey away from where the movie is shot so I got Street View out and was like following along saying oh god it looks identical to yeah. like how it did back then because there is this fantastic tracking shot of him walking to the shops yes and the, it's the one, one of the, shot of the it's one of the shot. first flexes that he does where like he walks down the street and crosses the road and they repeat the shot later on and it's just fun to see how how all the things have changed just a little bit mm-hmm. to be off-putting from as little as like a broken car window to less people around to there are actually zombies like yeah there's an the actual zombie in the background but and... in such a way that like you could see someone being hung over not realizing that the person staggering towards them is just isn't also hungover they oh are. yeah he assumes it's like a like a homeless person asking for change and he, you know just walks past him and, and like they, they made the very deliberate decision to do slow zombies versus fast zombies and that just opens up so much comedy because of stuff like that you know they have the time to just be nonplussed by them and then not even notice and they're not just immediately eaten by this like zombie sprinting at them or whatever you get someone fainting at the bus stop you get all these news reports with like people in hazmat suits and army vehicles but he's like distracted before he can actually watch it properly and big trucks going past and people coughing on buses and I mean you've got I mean you've got the big one of like he meets his friend Yvonne played by Jessica Stevenson mm-hmm. Hines, and they just have this conversation but in the background you've got like there's this massive car accident yeah 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 and like wait sorry sorry traffic collision yes quite hot buzz. I'm not allowed to call them accidents of course <laughs> yeah, like throughout their entire conversation, you can hear that sound of like the car horn stuck, yeah. and there's like a paramedic, and and like low low level tension of living in London. You just assume it's someone's been a prat. And, I like, feel that is another part of all of this is that London's just crazy, yo, and it would work <laughs> in New York as well. And it's just like you know, how long would it take for you to notice something's actually strange in a city like that, unless you were an outsider, which we are. I mean, not all of the audience, but most of the audience are the outsiders here, and I really like. Like the one where it's like the couple kissing outside the pub and then when the two of them stagger out drunk afterwards only we see it but like it's no longer they're kissing each other it's one of them is like ripping the other's head off or something and yeah, yeah doing the white lines duet with the zombie and it's so but we've skipped we've skipped the reason why they've gone to the pub yeah they broke up they broke up they broke up and you know his plan get liz back <laughs> go to mum's get liz back sort life out which is a fantastic smash cut all done in camera where they literally just had these massive lights outside to like shine light on to make it yeah. feel like there's a cut there but it isn't it's just they switched the lights on yeah. and just going from the night before to him you know staggering asleep in a chair in the kitchen as well is, is a nice little bit I like that Pete makes the comment about everyone in his department is ill and, he you got know. bit bitten by a mugger exactly London's crazy throughout all of these there are so many like little musical stingers that get interrupted it's like here comes the big tense music and then it just cuts away to something stupid and it's just like this is so well pieced together because like you said like the key thing is you never get the actual real explanation as to why this is happening and you could say oh and you never know but they do offer you all these clues and all these little like moments that you could piece together into whatever and I really like one that I definitely didn't pick up on on my first viewing when he's watching the TV and he's flipping between channels and Edgar Wright does that thing where like every single sentence leads on to like yes. the next thing and I assumed the joke was just as they're about to explain the zombie thing he's turning to something innocuous but then it's like no if you look at the dialogue like he switches to a musical performance and it goes from like like, panic on the streets of London exactly and then like there's been a number of and then a football game is like you know serious attacks and like you know N24 
ending on Vernon Kay, who I haven't seen in a decade, I feel like, <laughs> uh, you know, saying like dead excited to finish the, the it's oh, so close. Which, which, is, which is from that little thing that they shot, which I don't even think it's like, that is the Coldplay clip that they play later. They film this whole sequence of Coldplay, which in the movie is about two seconds, but on the DVD is like a full on interview with Coldplay <laughs> talking about how like one of their band members has been turned into a zombie. Yeah, zombie. Um, yeah, it's all just so meticulously planned and and love it, love it, love it, love it. And you can like see Simon Pegg's reflection in the TV screen. So this isn't even like I mean there probably is some degree of post there, but uh, yeah, like, they're probably like erasing the camera and whatnot because yeah. you, you don't want to see the camera in a reflective surface. But generally, um, whenever you see a TV show, you know anything on a screen in a movie, like they're actually looking at nothing and they've put it in later. But that yeah. comes across as being legit, even if they've done a little bit. But yeah, this act one does so much, but it sets up the characters, it builds this constant dread in the background, mm-hmm. and it also sets up like the bulk of almost all the payoff for the end of the movie like down to like the scene where they get drunk in the pub after they've broken up and it's like oh doesn't every everything that he's suggesting they do the next day like the king's head is a famous name for like many many pubs or like a bite of the king's head or whatever yeah like you get like they they do that whole thing and i mean obviously and it's in it's crazy yeah, predicts everything that's going to happen in the movie, like and even Mary, down and even yeah. down to the conversation about like the gun behind the bar is deactivated and all these little foreshadowing bits. So I would say Act Two is basically when they actually are confronted for realsies by zombies, and it's like, oh, there's a girl in the garden. And is, is, is this the most iconic scene of the movie? Uh... I feel like this is the one that's like drug out to like. I, I think Act Three is the most successful section of this movie when it devolves into like a pure zombie movie. But this yes. is the one that I always see like when people do clips of Shaun the Dead it is always them trying to deal with this girl and them throwing the records at, the, <laughs> at their heads and discussing which ones are okay which, so. which is fine because I agree with every single thing that they say <laughs> Stone Roses is like no second coming I like it I like it <laughs> <laughs> and just I like how incredibly realistically inept they are at dealing with it because you know throwing a punch even is not the most eloquent thing that everyone just takes to and just seeing them just throwing object after object at them that don't really do anything and oh it's so good and thinking she's drunk and for a brief second sean did murder a drunk woman before they realized <laughs> they got the confirmation she's a zombie and I which re- again one of those brilliant little gags is like they push her onto the the, the like base for the umbrella yeah and then she stands up and then Nick Frost taking the disposable camera and like rolling it on to get a picture of it. <laughs> I love the Polaroid he takes when she's like on top of him and he like turns her face to camera. Oh, so good. Swapping sides so that it's like, oh, do, do you want you want the big one or do you want the woman? And, and then they're just seeing it all of just them repeatedly like comically just hitting them over and over and over again. So so good. And then you get you've got red on you again. And they just go back inside and just, just drinking tea and watching TV again because that's how british people respond to things so they head around to his mother's to collect her and we get these great little repeated montages of what the plan is and it always ends in then back in time and just wait this whole thing out and like simon Pegg just winking at Cam. i don't understand why they don't just go up into liz's apartment we were safe in the flat it's like yeah you were like you're elevated they have no real way to get in in the first place as long as you lock the doors you throw some furniture out onto the stairs don't draw attention to yourself to like cause a swarm of them 
don't you don't have a way out, but they also don't have a way in. Well, yeah. Well, Sean brings all the dan- like in the final act. They they surround the pub because he failed to lose them, and, and yeah, he's the one bringing all this danger. But so one thing I want to point out: the Wikipedia page makes a point of including the make and model of the cars that they I know, drive. I know. I love the internet. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I care? It's a Renault Megane. I know they mention it in the movie, but like, and it's not even that. It's that they then add on like the numbers. Jag- Jaguar Sovereign, Sovereign V12. Philip's prized uh, car. Um, I like that they say, don't say the Z word, it's ridiculous, and, and <laughs> all this. And, and you were saying again about, you know, denying perspective of the camera, and he's like looking around through the letterbox, and he's like, oh, there they are, and the camera just pans to the right, and, it's like, and here's like a dozen zombies that you would think you would never miss these, but yeah. We also do have upstairs Peter Serafinowicz doing his best zombie impression, it's mm-hmm. Pete. Darth Maul himself. By Pete, I guess, kind of. So they, they do head over, and they reluctantly agree to take Philip, who has been bitten, and it means they get to take his Jaguar, and Sean clearly hates Philip. And the way, if you're watching this for the first time, like, he keeps talking about, oh, he's my stepdad, and, like, you know, his dislike for him. You get the impression that, like, this is a man that came into his mother's life when Sean was already an adult or something, so there's no real relationship and it's just awkward. But then when you later find out that, like, he's been his stepdad since he was 12, and that, like, Philip, as far as we can see, is actually just really quite nice to Sean. But the thing, uh, the thing is, I can see it as being, like, that thing of when you're 12... I, uh, did they ever mention, like, his dad, his dad died, didn't he? I think so, yeah. As opposed to, like, ran off. Like, there's no negative connotation for his father, and coming in when you're 12 is kind of, like, especially, probably, like, a very emotionally fraught kind of like time period mm. especially as you're like just into puberty and I, I don't, it, it doesn't it doesn't feel off it just feels it makes Sean into a more believable kind of like idiot. oh yeah 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 it makes sense it's just it's that thing of like when you're seeing it entirely from his perspective and he's like you think Philip's gonna be like some hideous monster yeah who's like constantly berating him and all the rest of it but he's just like a little bit of a strict dad yeah and they end up having that really lovely scene at the end where he's like you know I always believed you could you know do whatever if you had the right motivation and that being Sean is surprisingly on it with surviving a zombie apocalypse his his life of video games has uniquely prepared him for this moment and he becomes a more activated and engaged person yeah they collect Liz and the gang as well Philip turns they are forced to abandon the car and go on foot uh, so, this, so this is where like Ed begins to be a little bit problematic Ed drops an N-bomb he does drop an N-bomb this movie hasn't aged it, it's aged better than Lost in Translation sure I know what he's going for I know there is a sect of men in this era particularly who were like this and I don't think I, I, I think, I think as, as a caricature of a man of this time Ed is very much spot on yes it's just not something that you want to see as like sympathetic or a hero by the end of it which yeah. Ed ultimately does become but like you've got these little petty things where like he's so much more interested in like driving the fast car mm-hmm. than realising that they're in life ending danger to the point where he crashes Pete's car I pranged it <laughs> expre- expressing so he can drive the Jaguar Sovereign he drives it like an utter idiot and then when Sean and ask him to stop the car so he can say goodbye to Philip or like tell the car that Philip's dead yeah. he acts like he's asking like the worst thing in the world and then stops it in the most childish like I just want to handbrake turn this thing yeah he's like telling him to chill out and he's like stop telling me to chill out and yeah, like... yeah. And, like, and Ed kind of like Ed Ed is lovely, but there's this kind of stretch now where he is kind of like a petulant child in like a very negative way, and he doesn't kind of snap out of it until they get to the Winchester. And you're sort of, in most fiction, unfortunately, you are generally, especially when a woman 
criticizes a man their love interest's friend or whatever and like you know the the roommate does it too but you are sort of instinctively trained to side with the friends and be like no they're just friends and it kind of does that but then in this stretch of the film i think you see like even sean now is getting annoyed at him for who he is and i don't think yeah. it's necessarily asking you to make a judgment about ed but it does certainly be like look how annoying he can be um, yeah and I, I do, and I do think ultimately the movie does come back to like Liz and Kate Ashfield as being like she is correct yes she is I really like how because he like I said he has repeatedly said he's not my dad when he's talking about Philip and then when he gets out of the car and like he, he says to his mum he's like you know she's like you know he's your dad or she she says something about dad he goes he's not my dad and then she's like getting on him again about this and he's like no 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 he was my dad but he's not anymore he's a zombie it's like just showing that immediate growth that Sean has gone through and like that heart to heart really actually did get through and he's like yeah he basically while I may have been a dick about it he was my father for a long time I just I like that as a little tiny yeah. beat so they have to head on foot from here and they have to act their way through the crowd of zombies to get to the pub and Sean leads them away but in the course of getting there we get this wonderful scene with the doppelgangers that Zombieland is going to steal this year apparently where they run into a group who are identical to them essentially and just played by similar actors like so here's here's the question so yeah. we've not we've not actually discussed the cast yet so obviously like Simon Pegg Nick Frost and Sean Ned Kate Ashfield as Liz who is the only one who I don't think I've seen in anything since yeah she's got quite a long filmography but there's nothing I could like really place her to she's good in this and she's good yeah she is good and like it's a very hard role to kind of like throw the needle of because she's supposed to be the annoying girlfriend but she's also correct at the end yeah and like it is a role and you see it so much especially in like TV where you've got like the annoying wife where people will turn on the wife because they're getting in the way of the fun of the, the main character and you get it on Breaking Bad where like everyone's like I hate Skylar it's like Skylar's one of the best characters in the show fuck off he sells drugs <laughs> it's like no one uh, understands what that show is sorry carry yeah. on. you've got Lucy, Lucy Davis fresh off the office at this point so good huh? she's fantastic Dylan Moran playing a very different character to what he plays on Black Books yeah. Penelope Wilton who is someone who like I know has been around but she's someone who I'm more aware of her role since this it's stuff like oh she played Harriet Jones on Doctor Who which but I think that's more to say about like me growing up and like being more aware of the media that I've watched since this but again like she is she's immortal she is wonderful and uh, it nails this kind of role as the mum and then Bill Nye the biggest get of the film in it for like <laughs> less than 10 minutes probably altogether like all of them are fantastic all oh, of them yeah. are kind of, just uh, that level of, it says a lot that like who do they think of when they think of like an authoritarian slightly scary but ultimately nice man and it's like yeah it's Bill fucking Nye of course it is and they will get him again in the future is he in World's End as well yes he voices the um, aliens or the, the alien Overlord, or whatever. Uh, it's the one he's, yeah, not, yeah, one he's yeah. not physically in, but yes. he is. He's in all three. And he's the scariest of the policemen in, in Hot Fuzz at the beginning. So the doppelgangers, you've got Jessica Hines opposite Sean and you know we already have met her but and like like she, she's the co-lead in space she co-wrote it it makes yes. sense for her to lead her own kind of like separate little party totally Martin Freeman is your I guess your Liz equivalent in that they're both a bit like just sort of a bit low energy and obviously like Lucy Davis probably like convinced Martin Freeman to do it because they oh, yeah. were the right a couple on the office and it's just a fun little thing at this point yeah Reese Shearsmith of The League of Gentlemen as I, again it's all, it's all like really good people from like British comedy at this point oh yeah these 
are people that I'm sure the wider world look at this scene like, oh, they all just look like them. But if you're like someone who's been exposed to like almost every single one of these people is in like a major British comedy TV show. And, like, oh, uh, fuck, a major, look at all a these major, people. A, a major British comedy TV show against one of the cast members of the main cast. I think like, because Tamsin Green's obviously like the, the second lead in Black Books. Mm-hmm. Julia Deakin was in Spaced. Yeah. Matt Lucas. Uh, it's Matt Lucas and Rishi Smith who are just kind of like big names in British comedy at this point. Yeah, who, yeah. Aren't, who aren't really like comparable to anyone else. And David Williams does a voice in this and he auditioned to be um, Dylan Moran's character. So yeah, you've got the Little Britain pair there. Yeah, I mean, like, Little, Little Britain has been out at this point, but I imagine probably it started when filming, so I'm not sure whether or not like it had reached... Because it, it definitely wasn't like the cultural phenomenon it was in the UK yeah. when Matt Lucas would have done this. Yeah. Well, I, know, I guess he would have been known from shooting stars, though. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, you know, international audiences, this, this moment still plays because the comedy is look how they're dressed identically down to like Lucy Davis and Tamsin Greig wearing the same hat and all that sort of shit. Here's the question. Mm. Which cast would you want to follow more? Like if they <laughs> did a co if Avon of the Dead, which cast would you rather follow? I would want to see both, you know? Like, <laughs> they're, they're both rock solid. Yeah, like... I don't know if one is better than the other. I want. I would definitely want to see both. Like seeing Avon's, Avon as the leader, that's actually quite interesting to me. Um, can't really go wrong with either, I don't think. There's yeah. no weak link in either cast, really. No. So I look Which forward is... to Zombieland doing that later this year. Except making it the entire plot of the movie. <laughs> Probably. So we get more genre subversion stuff here with like, he collapses the fence when he's trying to jump over it and they have this really terrible back garden fight with like swing ball and stuff and climbing up a slide to check if the coast is clear and you just see him disappear off camera and then come back down and it just, it looks very pitiful and yeah, it's so good. But what we do get here is, you know, they, as I said, they formulate this plan to just act like zombies and you get Sean looking at Diana. This moment, you know, he's like, well, what are we going to do? And then he looks at her and then we go to her like teaching them how to be a zombie and when you remember but earlier on what Liz said he had said about her that she's this failed actress and like if we know that Sean is attempting to change as a person acknowledging her skills I don't know it just that seems like a nice little moment for him and his changing and she is very good here when she's like gesturing towards the zombie and then doing all these little faces and I really don't know why she didn't become a bigger thing because she's so good in the office and she's so good in this and it's like why didn't you just really blow up Yeah, I mean she's, she did obviously like a couple little things she tried to make it in America didn't she She's on Studio 60 about two years later after this. Yeah, she's good. Um, it feels like she made the decision to move over to America. It didn't work because Studio 60 wasn't the hit that it should have been. Fucking injustice, sorry. I mean, in, in both terms <laughs> in both terms of the word, in that it, it peters off pretty immediately after that fantastic pilot, and also in that no one watched it, so it died a death. And then she moves back to the UK. Actually, I don't think she actually has moved back to the UK. I think she's very firmly still in America, because she's, she's on better things, and she's great on better things. I've heard good things about her on Sabrina. She's obviously in Wonder Woman. We'll see whether or not she returns in Wonder Woman in 1984. I highly doubt it. But yeah, I, I just really like this scene of her. And, you know, you get like, Liz and Sean are really good at being zombies and, like, his mother is just like, spaced out. And it's like, how old people are like zombies? But then, you know, the background joke of, she's actually been bitten here and no one because she Because she was an idiot because she thought she'd recognise the garden. Indeed. And then Ed being like, I'll do it on the night. And it's like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I really like when he's like, oh, who made you, like, king of zombies? 
and then Sean is actually quite good at it. He's like, yeah, fair enough. That's, that's yeah. Fine. Yeah, and they make it to the Winchester, and Ed takes the phone call from his, like, drug dealer friend, or, or the guy sells drugs to, or whatever. And, Noodle, who yeah. gets special thanks in the credits. Of course. And they name drop Edgar Wright's little nickname. I think they call him, like, E-Ball or something like that, or something like that. But yeah, they, they mention that, and it's like, yeah, more of Ed being, like, a massive fucking problem. But they make it into the pub, and this is sort of your, your third act of the movie, and it's like, this is where it turns into something that's actually genuinely... I don't know if it's ever scary, but it's like, this is where it's like, this is actually just a zombie film now, and there are still jokes, and there are still some subversions, and like, playing like Queen over the top while they're Yeah, you, you, the, the Queen segment is probably like the last bit of comedy in the movie, because like, basically, like, once they turn the electricity back on when they're in here, the, the jukebox goes off with Queen, they beat the zombie up in time to the song, and then they smash the jukebox, and then after that, there's no digesting music. It becomes very serious, there's yeah. lots of arguments, lots of tension, and it is like this overload of like, here's the last fun we're gonna have, because there will be jokes, but they're gonna be very bleak and very dark jokes. Yeah, yeah, point. and like joking about suicide, and so it's like, yeah, it gets really dark. Do you think it's successful? Because I do, I do think this I do, movie, yeah. it's just I've heard some people go like, they don't like that it becomes a straight-laced com- a zombie movie for the last chunk of it. After, where, like, we, it, after we've seen them basically not be that fussed about them for the first like half an hour of seeing them, where it's like, Sean will just run into a crowd of them, or Sean will just charge at them with cricket bat and just take them down one by one, and then suddenly it's like, now you're all gonna die. But, I don't know, I think it works, because it, it feels like, like their entire plan is a bit flawed, of like, well, why would you go here, and what, what happens next? And it does feel like they are very much on borrowed time, while they're just trying to think of what to do, but eventually they will be overwhelmed. I mean, yeah, I can see what someone might be saying, that like the tone shifts so dramatically, but I like that about it. I think it works, I think it, it works as this kind of like nice little payoff. As you said, there's a lot of arguments here, and like it comes to the fore that David has always been in love with Liz, and that Diane knows this, and you get that line about I picked up the pieces after she knocked you back, and then like she will literally pick up pieces of him in a moment. Good stuff. You know, revealing that like his mother got bitten, and having to say goodbye to her, and then having to be the one to shoot her, but before that you get a Mexican standoff because David wants to shoot her, and yeah, it's all it's all really tense and it's all really good and it's it's really sad like where like the actual tearful goodbye to his mother is like you know d- stop trying to shoot my mum and you know her being all like I didn't want Sean to be worried and oh all really good stuff finding out the gun is real and saying call them shells instead of bullets and, and all that sort of stuff and then yeah like the zombies do pour in and and they have to you know we start loot like David gets ripped apart and Diane runs out and you assume she's dead but they've actually canonically confirmed she survived hid in a tree I believe and Ed gets attacked and is going to turn but for now is still okay and they they set fire to the bar and and head down into the cellar and it's like yeah we're fucked and they do they discuss this of like right we've got two shells left Where Ed's been I'm, bitten Ed's, Ed's been bitten we're not gonna yeah. mercy kill him no and you know like discuss it her being like oh you should do me because I'll, I'll just get it wrong and it's like ugh, okay fine but whatever and then just sort of reconciling because throughout this he she keeps saying to him stuff like you know this isn't about us you know we're not getting back together but like you do see when he returns to the bu- to the pub and is all like oh you know I wouldn't break a promise and she's just like oh he's like the best man in the world look <laughs> at this guy that isn't an asshole and yeah it is really this nice tender you know them talking this through and reconciling and sharing the cigarette but 
but then that being what illuminates the little switch that will get them out of there, and then you get the the actually the another sad goodbye between these two friends and him apologizing for like you know how he's been basically just all really sad and good and tense and a little bit scary at times but also funny love it all. yeah so what's what's your favorite of these kind of because it, it, it does turn into these little vignettes where like every character gets a little goodbye and the movie it's only about 20 minutes of the movie isn't it it's not a long stretch but kind of like each argument kind of like devolves into the next one. So you've got the start of, the, I mean, the whole argument with David wanting to kill Sean's mother and that kind of devolving into him. But like, which kind of that's, like character do That's do my Numa? favorite of those, I think. I think because that Ed one is undercut with him saying gay when he's when they say goodbye to each other, maybe a little bit, that hurts that one. So I think the stuff with the mother, especially because it it's what leads to them having that frank discussion about how David feels and, and all of these different things. I think that one works really successfully because you get the comedy, you get the, the action-y type, you know, the big standoff. You also get oh, yeah, the comedy. Yeah, yeah, and then little... Simon Pegg's probably doing his best little piece of acting in the movie there as yeah. well. So. You get the fun little bit of Diane saying, like, I want a, I want a bottle too, and Ed just handing her the bottle, and then... <laughs> And then, and then the he, he grabbed the white. The, yeah, it's good. And then obviously you get that really fucking dark endpoint of yeah. David falling on the floor and like pulling the trigger twice. He's fully committed to like killing Sean at this point, and you're like, yeah. what? Yeah, 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 yeah. For as problematic as the Ed character may be in terms of aging badly, that is also still quite a tender farewell between these two, who we know are best friends for realsies, and like so much of the dynamic between them and this is just based on their real life together. But I do think I appreciate the relationship that they have in Hot Fuzz better. Definitely. I think it's a more successful version of it. Even even if you want to say the homoerotic overtones of Hot Fuzz are, have also equally not aged well, but I do think it's a more it's a it's a more endearing relationship. Yeah than this one is but then like in this like for a lot of it not aging well stuff like when they make the joke about him being his boyfriend and then he hands him the pint and he's like being oh it, it might not be uh, that cold because the chill is breaking like, oh cheers babe it's like that is actually quite true to life and you know there is some underlying level of problematicness I mean it's, it's that thing there. where it's like they, they, they're not willing to joke about it but it like it was almost like you're expecting them to say like no homo afterwards yeah and all because like men are trained to not have this emotional vulnerability and it's nice to see that they are willing to do it even if it is very briefly yeah those two like going out onto the street and like it's almost sort of a you know we might get away but we might also be fucked here and then just intentionally disorienting sort of the army rock up and just murder all the zombies and save them and everything's fine and then it cuts to like six months later and they're just living this like just nice quiet little sedentary life together and and you get this second version of the tv gag where like they're cutting through the tv and you get more like examples of like post-zombie living yeah like they're on my husband's a zombie on trisha and, and on a terrible game show and like using them as cheap labor at supermarkets and stuff like that. which is ingl- like roast ball comes back very briefly in that moment which yeah. is fun Edgar Wright does the the jab at 28 days later with yep. the the, <laughs> the, the monkeys pack. Mark Gattis is doing a voice here David I think Gattis does a radio voice and David Williams does a TV one and Rob Brydon is narrating that terrible like this boy fought off his whole family type thing. <laughs> that's Rob Brydon who is in the movie as a zombie along with Russell Howard, Joe Cornish, um, a fuck ton of other people, um, and, and Lucy Davis's mum. <laughs> who is who from space? Is it? It's because it's the In is like it flat the cycling no, shorts? Yes. 
Tires, Michael Smiley. Michael Smiley is literally playing his space character, I believe, in yep. that signature Shaun the Dead. Yeah, Ed's with, you know, the, the reveal that Ed is, he is chained up in the shed and they just play video games out there together. It's like, you know, it's dumb as fuck, but it's it's nice and it's funny and it, it's a callback to him saying, go live in the shed and all that. I like that, that it's just like, they all move on from it and they never tell you quite what was responsible or like, because Sean knows now, because, you know, you imagine in the days afterwards, he was incredibly interested in like, what was the cause but six months on he's like ah boring and he's just flipping through and you know you got it's great it's great that this has always been a story about sean and liz and sean and ed and sean trying to get his life together as it were and the zombie stuff is incidental and that is proved nowhere further than uh in this ending where it's like yeah it doesn't matter how they survived it or where it came from it's just this is a thing that happened and it happened to be a catalyst for change in sean uh to be a bit more engaged and a little bit more mature and yeah it's great it's a great movie i just prefer hot fuzz yeah i mean i i think that's fair i i very much got them as like i say 1a 1b but there isn't a great movie i prefer but it's very much like interchangeable in, in what mood am i more in yeah. for am i more in a mood for the a- action movie movie pastiche or am i more in the mood for the Shaun dead pastiche and i would um, gravitate towards action movies more than zombie movies so maybe that's having an effect here i think that that's completely fair i i, I think it it's the reason why world's end isn't as successful because it doesn't have that kind of like it, yes it's doing that kind of alien invasion stories it feels uh, a lot less specific it feels a lot less specific or even in some ways it feels even more specific in that it's going for like a particular version of a particular story yeah. if that makes sense like like because this is doing zombie movies in general and hot fuzz is doing action movies in general whereas world's end is kind of doing alien invasion movie but particularly invasion of the body snatchers yeah i guess yeah yeah so it's somehow less and more specific at the same time. Yeah, like it's playing off something that's too specific rather than something that has evolved into its entirely own genre. Like, there is not just one archetypal zombie story, but you see World's End and it is riffing off of like one particular thing. And it, my, the thing with World's End is, I think the emotional and character stuff is some of the most nuanced and well-observed stuff that they have in there. It's just, it doesn't mesh well with the genre deconstruction that they're doing. Yeah. And I think that's my main issue is like, on its own fantastic movie about this kind of like these character growths and stuff like that, the scene where Simon Pegg is talking about like, that his suicide attempt is genuinely fantastic but it isn't enmeshing with the the genre trappings that they're trying quite as well. And it also Um, is is kind of nice to see them flip the roles where Nick Frost is playing the one that's like got his life together and Simon Pegg is the sort of like pitiful one who hasn't grown up and stuff. I mean that's, that's what I like. All three of these movies movies have them have both of those actors playing different roles in very different archetypes yes and i think ed is closer to danny in hot fuzz but it's but it is like ed, danny is such a lovely sweetheart compared to ed which which i think is great and yeah. sean is so much of like more of a fuck up than nicholas angel is where nicholas yeah. angel is like perfect and he just needs to like mellow out chill the fuck out yeah, yeah. <laughs> i can he's my dad and what do we call this trilogy of movies benjamin we call it the three flavors cornetto trilogy and what do we have? What flavours of Cornetto do we see eaten in these three movies? Well, the first one we see strawberry. Which is uh, red, blood, zombies. Yes, which is which is also like my go-to hangover cure now. I will I will run to the corner shop and pick up
pick up her strawberry cornetto. A weird little niche thing to write into this movie that Edgar Wright did. And then Hot Fuzz, you've got the the original bl- nut, the original nut flavor, and it's like blue and white, so the police. And then uh, World's End is green, so which aliens. is mint. Yes. but like it also doesn't show up in any way in the movie because they're at the pub all evening and then it just kind of like shows that's up that's the real the... reason it's the inferior of the three it's because there's no actual Cornetto there is there is no eating or Cornetto the, the rapper just shows up and it's like oh. yeah. I wanted a scene where someone ate a mint Cornetto maybe but no one would do that because mint chocolate is terrible fight me anyone this wasn't terrible Shaun of the Dead wasn't terrible and our movie next week will also not be terrible I believe one of your very favourite movies it's definitely top three that we're discussing. Oh, it's hard. It's hard to say. There's a lot of movies that I love that are coming up in this second half. <laughs> yeah, we're moving. It's been very Matt, and it's been very both. And uh, Ben will have his picks coming soon. Although I think this yes. is both for us as well. This but... is both. This is both because this is again like one of those few. Like we've had movies that we've got that emotional. Like this is this is a both movie because it's such a British touchstone. But we have a lot of our both picks that are coming up are like one of critical. us feels a little bit more strongly about. One of us feels a little bit strongly about. But also, but also. Our critical darlings as well. Yes, and that critical darling next week will be Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I look forward to that. In the meantime, enter the realworld.com, soundcloud.com, slash Mike and Matt. Like, follow, subscribe, all the things I tell everyone to do and no one ever does, but who cares? We do get the numbers. I can prove it. Over 12,000 listens. Thank you, everyone. But until then, thank you, Ben. Can you, just before we go, confirm for me, will there be movies? I mean, maybe. I I don't remember there being movies. Oh, well, we'll find out next time if there will be. Uh, Bye, everyone.